You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Hey guys, I just wanted to let you know that this podcast is presented by mybookie.ag and that if you use the promo code MATTEK, M-A-T-T-E-K, that you will get a 50% deposit bonus on your first deposit. And given that you are a listener to this podcast, I would assume you're relatively knowledgeable about sports and I would trust you to try your edge on the online sports book. You can lay down some money and get in on the action at one of the safest online sports books in the world. It's the only one that I am currently using. You can wager on all sorts of different outcomes on mybookie.ag, soccer, football, any major league, esports. You can even create your own player props, which is useful for me because if you know anything about me, I do enjoy uh, a good player prop. So if you deposit using the promo code MATTEK, M-A-T-T-E-K, you get a you get a 50% de- bonus when you deposit and i will add this for listeners of the takecast if you deposit using the promo code matic and you send proof of it to me on twitter i will follow you on twitter and you can have access to me via dms whenever you want that's the that's the takecast bonus that i'm adding in association with the mybookie.ag deposit bonus now let's get back to the show Hello, everyone, and welcome to the TakeCast. My name is Davis Maddock. You can find me on Twitter, at Davis Maddock. This episode is a pretty special one. It's a good conversation with my pal, Sammy Reed, who is one-third of the Gilcast. Uh, of course, that's where you guys would know him from, also from his time at Fantasy Insiders. I think that we have a pretty good and casual conversation between two friends who talk about daily fantasy and poker and what it's like to work on the internet and what it's like to, you know, uh, attempt to make a living in this space as well as, you know, for whatever archaic reason, Sammy is really into baseball and has a baseball podcast. So we talk about that a little bit. I think that for those of you who are already listeners to the Gilcast, this will be right up your alley. And if you're not, I still think that if you're a regular listener to the show, you'll get a lot out of it. Of course, if you want to support the show, you can leave a rating and review on iTunes, and uh, you can also subscribe to the show on Patreon. And if you are listening to this on Wednesday or Thursday, the week of Thanksgiving, we have four bonus shows up for Thanksgiving. We have three showdown pods. And uh, after I recorded this podcast, we did a main slate DFS podcast, Sammy and I did. So we have all of that going on for just $5 a month at uh, at the Patreon. Uh, now we'll get into it right after a quick advertisement. Daily Roto is a mostly proud sponsor of the TakeCast, a mostly sports podcast. TakeCast listeners can save 10% at Daily Roto with the promo code Janis, J-A-N-I-S. If you are playing on DraftKings or FanDuel, Daily Roto will help you improve your daily fantasy results this fall and save time in the process with lineup optimizers, ownership projections, fantasy projections, premium content, and much more. They have all the good stuff that you want to help 
you make money at sports betting and daily fantasy. Their new lineup optimizer will let you build optimal GPP teams with stacks based on their projections faster than I can punt money off betting on Peter Uline. Sure, you can play the guys that I recommend each week, but shouldn't you also get advice from a proven daily fantasy winner like Drew Dinkmeyer? Yes, I do have better hair than Drew, but I also have his cell phone number, and that makes me a winner almost as much as it makes him a winner of the DraftKings Millionaire Maker. And it's not just fantasy. They have tools to bet on player props, golf matchups, and a customizable NFL game simulator for this fall. Save 10% with promo code Janice today. Hello, everyone. Welcoming in one-third of the Gilcast. I actually have gotten some requests for this episode from people on the Patreon. If you are a Patreon subscriber, you can send me direct messages, and pretty much I feel guilty enough to answer all of them. I don't think anyone who's uh, private messaged me on Patreon has not gotten a response, but uh, Sammy Reed is here on the podcast. He's getting the call up to the big leagues to the, the main free feed of the Take Cast. Uh, Sammy, thank you for, for filling in because all my other guests, you know, they, they just big-timed me. They're really, it's Thanksgiving. No one wants to record a podcast with Davis Maddock over their Thanksgiving break. Yeah, well, I'm really glad you went like 30 deep on the list and, uh, and found me. And, you know, there was at least one Patreon subscriber that, that wanted me to come. So here I am, man. Pumped. They actually, actually, I've, I will say this. I've gotten more requests for a solo show with Nate because I think people are just like, who is Nate Noling? Like, what is Nate Noling in his day-to-day life? Like, how does that guy exist and interact outside of like Sammy and Davis just berating his life on the Gilcast? I actually wonder that myself, like periodically I'll be at work and it's like 2 p.m. and I'll be like, I wonder what Nate's doing right now. And the and answer Nate, is like, probably just not sleeping and, and mainlining Red Bull. Yeah. I mean, he talks nebulously about like his friends, et cetera. Like I'm very dubious that he actually has friends. I'm not sure if this is honest or not. He's always, him, he's but... always got someone over to watch the Sunday night football game. Like every time when we're about to record the Gale cast, he's like, no, I can't record early, bro. I got people coming over for the game. But I completely understand why people want him on the podcast because he is definitely the the funnest person to tilt. I think when he's on tilt and he's in a bad mood, it's like the best because I think his tilt and his, it it makes us happy, like really deep inside. And I think that's something special that comes out even on audio. I mean, it's, it, it, honestly, if it was a video show, I think people would enjoy it even more because he just said like some point of like me being like, Nate, dude, it's a feel game, bro. Like you just don't get it. <laughs> At some point you can see it on his face that he's just like, well, I just have to eat this. Like I'm just, I, I'm not going to win this conversation. And even though he thinks he's right, he knows he'll never be able to convince me or the audience that he is in fact correct. The video is 100% gold and we should monetize it. So, Sammy, bro, I don't even actually know this story. How did you get into, and not into DFS, because I think the DFS you probably got into from poker, but how did you get into grinding content for DFS? Oh, dude, this was actually a, a, a crazy story. Like, back in the day, so I was like a, a stoner college kid at San Diego State. So this was in, like, 1987. For people yeah, who don't know, Sammy, Sammy is legit older than Soccer Dave. <laughs> And like put our put our photos side by side, and people would be shocked at that. I think. Well, he he just looks like a dad. Yeah, I mean, well, he is a dad, and I think having kids probably ages you five years within the first six months. So I right. think that's a big thing. Um, 
But like legit back in the day, I was a writer for ESPN.com. They had like on their fantasy site, they had these uh, free uh, like baseball people who like would write their correspondence. And so they would write like a fantasy column every week for a certain team. And so they had like, you know, 30 of these unpaid idiots around the country. And I was one of these unpaid idiots. And they put you up on the fantasy page. And like, as time went on, like people started dropping out because, you know, they, they weren't getting paid. And, you know, in August, everybody hates MLB. And so I took over a bunch of teams. And then, you know, I was all young and ambitious like you. And the next season, I was like, dude, y'all got to give me my own like column. And then they gave me my own column. It was like me and Keith Law and like Brandon Funston all writing for ESPN.com. Is this, is this true? I don't know if any, like, is any, can anyone like fact check or verify this for me? Fact check. Short hops was the name of the column. Yeah. And this was in like the early 2000s. Short hops, Sammy Reed, ESPN. Yeah. And no joke. So I, is anything coming up? We'll see. Okay. Uh, no, nothing. No, it's just it's just all your tweets. No, oh, well, <laughs> you don't want to read those. Those and are the, actually and bad. The, and, the, and the baseball baseball holics anonymous podcast. Actually, a good podcast. Go listen to that. That's, uh, we'll that's talk, right. We're going to talk about baseball. We're going to talk about baseball. Don't worry. Okay, perfect. Um, but but bottom line is like I worked for ESPN Fantasy and had my own column on there. This is before fantasy sports was cool. This was like early two thousands. And I even like, I moved to Denmark for a year and I was living in Denmark, like writing about baseball for ESPN. And I was like, dude, I got it made. It's you lit. lived in Denmark, dude? I did. I did. I moved to Denmark for a girl. Yeah. Not the girl you're married to though. No, no, not the girl I'm married to, but sure. like this, yeah, this, this like saucy Danish chick. I like went and lived with her family in Denmark. No joke. Yeah. That's, that's a pretty legendary story. It was pretty legend. It was a great time. We're actually like still friends. Um, so when you when you moved to Denmark, is that when you got really into poker? Because for for whatever reason, no one's ever been able to explain this to me. Scandinavians just love playing no limit Texas Hold'em, man. Like some of the sickest, highest stakes, like no limit players, they're, they're like Norwegian or Scandinavian or whatever. So is that how you got into playing uh, playing the cards? It's actually not. Um, but it, because this was, you know, early 2000s was a little before the poker boom. I want to say Moneymaker was like... 2005? 03, something like that. No, Moneymaker was 05, I swear. Dude, go ahead and Google that. I think you're wrong. Well, I'm going to, but keep talking. <laughs> but, but no, I, I didn't play when I was over there. I wasn't yeah, even 20, into poker 2003. yet. 2003. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Easily verified. <sighs> but... I think that I think that Scandinavians, you know, they they all have money because they're heavily socialist. Like nobody's homeless over there. Right. Like they all just have a bunch of money, and so I think that like they just have security, and I think that might drive the force behind them being they're really aggro. Like Scandinavian players are all mega aggro, and I think when you're mega aggro, you have no fear of like what happens if you lose. And if you're socialist and you got healthcare no matter what, and you got some money coming in no matter what. You're going to be fine. You can just jam with, with flush draws all day. I mean, no one loves jamming on a flush draw more than me. So, <laughs> so in between like, 20, like, like 2003, 2004, 2005, how do you go from being really into poker to getting into DFS? Uh, I, so I was probably late on the DFS train because I was one of those guys who got burned really badly by Black Friday. I was one of those dudes that had – like 90% of their life bankroll on Phil Till Poker, like a lot of money. Real, real sharp of you. Yeah, yeah, real sharp. Yeah, I was, I was just, you know, 
this, this kid in San Diego, you know, just like grinding high stakes sit and goes. And I had all this money on the site cause I wanted to keep my bankroll up cause I'm like kind of a bankroll knit. And so like, I felt like I had to keep like hundreds and hundreds of buy-ins in my account and black Friday hit. And so I was really reticent to get into DFS when DFS started because of this, like I'd been burned before. And so I was like, look, like this sounds a lot like online poker to me. I'm going to be real cautious. So I actually didn't get into it till like late 2014, early 2015. I was not one of the early adopters. Wow, that, that is, that's like, you were all, you like almost don't even remember a DFS world where like lineup builders weren't a thing. Like that, that no. they were probably almost already a thing when you came into DFS. They were becoming a thing. And I think, I mean, we see that same thing with, with poker as we do with DFS that, you know, all of a sudden in poker, you had people who were using technology, things like HUDs, heads up displays to really help their game out. Um, and the general public, you had all these training sites and all this stuff. And the general public ended up becoming a lot sharper and the edges started getting a lot smaller. You see that with DFS now. They're both, they both have really similar life cycles in a lot of ways. There's got to be nothing like poker touts got to be the worst. Like people who like, just like coach poker, those people, like, I mean, I guess I don't really know. I got really into poker when I was in high school pre black Friday, but you know, I, I was in high school. I didn't have a ton of money to grind or anything like that. I played and I lost, you know, I lost some money on black Friday, but not as much as not as much. I think maybe like $1,200 or whatever was what I had on my full tilt account. But I, I don't remember like poker touts so much, but maybe that was just like a willful uh, like like memory erasure. Like maybe like people were really touting their poker coaching sites. Oh, they were. They absolutely were. And they were charging a ton of money. You know, like card runners became like a huge like coaching site. I remember, thing. I remember card runners and I remember um, shit. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I don't have it in my head, but I remember I used to listen to poker road radio that was like the big one that I would listen to with Ali Najad and uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's the Joe something. I can't, I can't think of it. Yeah. Um, I, I think those things. So what really happens in this world is like when the games are soft, dude, these people just go in and crush just being like solidly above average. And then as the general public gets sharper and sharper and starts figuring things out, you either adapt or you become a tout, Right. And you can do both. You can be a successful tout, but I think a lot of people see that there's more money in the touting part and the coaching part because they've had previous success when it was sharp. And, uh, and we see that a lot today. I mean, there are a ton of touts out there who are legit, not all that good, but you know, that, that's how they're going to make money in the space. The thing in DFS is that you can really do both. There's no, there's not yes. really a big downside to touting in DFS. Cause I don't like, people won't really ever be able to guess your exact lineup and, and really all like big parts of the money are in tournaments anyway. And, and like one website, I don't think can increase like ownership percentages all that much. And in DFS, like there's not really a penalty on time. Like you can just submit the same lineup into like 400 different contests with no penalty. That's exactly the same thing. In, in poker, it's either or. If you're making content, it's taking away from your time at the table. Touting, not really. It, it's really not. And I, I do think it's really interesting now in DFS that we see so much like certain guys that have huge influence over ownership percentages. You know, guys like Levitan, et cetera, who if they talk about a guy, all of a sudden it influences ownership percentages. To be a fulcrum like that, I think is how much really, do you really, think? Really how much do you think like... Uh... 
I actually tend to believe that the projections have a much bigger impact on ownership percentages than touting does because so, so big a percentage of the player pool is building their lineups with tools, not by hand. What percentage do you think use like lineup optimizers and projections? At what like dollar level? Uh, just just your regular dollar level. I mean, like, you know, the 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 small stakes, man, like the three, five, ten dollar stakes. Well, in like the three dollar one hundred and fifty entry, I would bet like at least forty percent of the lineups are built by you know, by a computer basically. I don't think I just I think I mean guys who are playing one entry obviously do it by hand, but I really think like Lineup optimizers are just so convenient. I haven't built multiple lineups by hand in so long. <laughs> I, used I do it all the time. <laughs> I use, Well, for NFL, I do, because I only run like 10 teams in NFL, so that's not hard to do by hand. But like when I'm doing these showdown slates or like baseball or whatever, I'm, I'm like 0% doing that by hand. I'm just like clicking some inputs and running those teams. Yeah, and I think baseball, well, basketball for sure, but basketball and baseball are – are sports that should really honestly if you're not using an optimizer projections etc you're so far behind the game man like your football football is way more of a feel it's way more of an art you well, know and there's I mean? just and they're just like it's hard to tell the computer all the like the reliant things like you want all these parts to correlate it's hard to do that and um and they don't know about Byron Leftwich, et cetera. Well, the, the difficult part with football is that like a 3K guy who's projected to get like seven targets is like a really good play to a computer, but that's not accounting for the fact that he can just like get zero pretty easily. It's hard to, it's hard to like, because football is such an events-based sport, it's really hard to narrow all those events down to a median projection. Exactly. And that's, and that's one thing. I mean, you'll have Nate on the show eventually and the people will be really happy and you'll tilt him out. But I think when we tease him about, you know, football being less of a science and more of an art, that's really what it is. You know what I mean? Like, dude, you have 16, 17 opportunities, 19 if you're counting playoffs. And it's the big plays that really make or break a slate. It's not basketball where you're just grinding possession after possession after possession. And so uh, it, it really is like, you know, just, just taking your feel for something and obviously having some math behind it and putting those together rather than just running things through optimizers. So going back a little bit, how did you decide to start grinding the DFS content? Like, what did, like, did Soccer Dave just like slide in your DMs? Like, hey, dude, like I noticed like you've been doing your freelance thing. You want to get like $13 an article to write for Fantasy Insiders? <laughs> uh $13 might have been generous at the time but honestly I was on Twitter I just kind of got on Twitter and I saw a, a writing thing for fantasy insiders and I'd been playing DFS and I was like I really wanted the bat uh, Derek Cardi's projection system I wanted yeah. to start using the bat and fantasy insiders had the bat and I was like oh if I work for FI I'll just get the bat for free like this will be great and so I sent in a writing sample and it was like the worst writing sample ever. I was not like, a lead writer, bro. Laffy, Laffy said you're not a lead writer, bro. <laughs> yeah, well, Laffy was fucking wrong, wasn't he? Um, <laughs> look at you now. Yeah, look at look at me now, bro. I'm on the take cast. Um, but yeah, so I, I just put in a writing sample because I wanted the bat, and I think it was Tuttle hit me up, and he's like, 
yeah, man, we, we'd love to have you on, but we really need to change up the style of this, of this column because I was like relating players to poker hands. And it was like, these guys are the suited connectors of this yeah, slate. I'm sure, that, I'm sure like, that was horrible. It was very bad. Well, everyone, everyone in DFS like kind of wants to have a gimmick at first, I think. Yeah, I think. I mean, what was your gimmick when you started? Uh, depends on when you, like when I first started writing, like in like college, it was just like numbers are the only thing that matters. Nothing else matters. Market share. Oh, you were a Frisco Josh when you started. Well, no, but it was like, I, like I started writing before DFS was even like a 5% of the market share. It was all about seasonal fantasy football content. And I was just like, you draft the tall wide receivers, you draft the fast wide receivers and you just hate on all these you know, shitty, slow guys or whatever. Like the big Twitter war that I was in in 2011, no, 2012 would have been the Vincent Brown Twitter. All the film watchers thought this Chargers wide receiver named Vincent Brown was just like due for a breakout. And he was the six foot tall guy who ran a 4.7 flat 40, who was like horrible in college. But in like, I think like a week 16 game for the Chargers, he had like 130 yards and a touchdown. And like all the film watchers were just like jumping all over themselves to like declare him like the, the nut sleeper wide receiver of the year. And I was like, no, this guy's bad. He's horrible. And all of you should feel bad. And, and that was like the big, that, but that was my big gimmick at first was like, big tall fast wide receivers and only do that like Stephen Hill Stephen Hill was one of my first <laughs> Jeff Janis second round pick Stephen Hill and, and a couple years later it was uh, Odell Beckham that you were shaving on oh yeah that was the that was another good war yeah I mean I still I still think that like all of the available data suggests that Odell was like a terrible draft pick there I think they took him at 10 overall yeah yeah not not yeah. great yeah. uh so why why do you love baseball so much is it just because you're older than me and your brain is not as deformed by technology and screens? It's certainly possible. It's also because like I played baseball, you know, like I, I played past high school. And so I think that was a, like baseball is a big part of my life. And I think that the things that I like, like poker and baseball DFS, these things all come with a really similar mindset. They come with the mindset that, you know, you're looking for the long term. You're not trying to get too high and too low. You know, things will like go wrong for you sometimes. But if you continually do the right thing, you know, I, like baseball, it's just like, dude, if you hit a bleeder to left, like a little blooper and it falls in, you got a hit. But, you know, if you consistently do that, your average is going to be low. Whereas if you consistently laser the ball, sometimes the second baseman will catch a line drive. But if you consistently hit shots, you will have a high batting average, high OPS, et cetera, et cetera. And going with that mindset and being strong in that mindset, not tilting too much one way or the other, I think is really applicable in DFS. It's applicable in poker. It's applicable in baseball. And I really like games with that kind of mindset. You, so you just like the variance? No, I, I, I like the, the long-term stability. I like knowing that overall things will even out. And you know, if, you, if your process is continually right, at the end of the day, your outcomes will be better. I mean, I guess you crushed seasonal fantasy baseball this year, so you you got you kind of kind of know what you're talking about. What is your what is your podcast with Doug Thorburn? What is the what is the nexus of that? So I think most podcasts these days really focus on fantasy because fantasy is the monetized version of these sports, right? Oh, definitely, yeah. 
Yeah. So like uh, there's a million fantasy baseball and football podcasts out there. And so we do a podcast like I have a background. You know, I played I played semi pro ball. Right. I was the catcher. So I had a really interesting perspective on the game. Doug worked for the what a, national. What a, what a humble brag that was right there. Like, oh, dude, I played semi pro. I mean, there, there's no brag about semi pro. Like, if you know what semi pro oh, ball it's, is, it's a miserable death grind. It is so bad. Like, you don't actually get paid. Like, it's not like you just get like stipends for money and equipment and stuff like that. You're not actually like what? Uh, getting, what position did you play? I was a catcher. And so, and so like that gave me a really interesting perspective on the sport. It's a really thinking position. It really combines like a lot of thinking with having to be tough. Right. And so I, I just gained an appreciation for the beauty of baseball, I think through that. And then Doug worked for the national pitching association. So he did like biomechanical research. He was putting like electrodes on pitchers and yeah, all this his, stuff. His podcast that he used to do with Sporer called there's no such thing as a pitching prospect. I went through, I went through a real baseball phase about, five years ago and I, oh, I was, that thing was like four hours long bro how did you get through it yeah and I used to listen to him and Spores podcast which was I mean that was that was like the war and peace of uh of baseball pitching podcasts yeah dude that's like straight heroin for baseball nerds I mean that's what I that's what I do though when I like when I decide I'm gonna care about something or be really into it like I'm going in to the nichest niche of the niche that there was yeah so, I mean, and those guys are baseball nerds to their core. So I think that Doug really brings an interesting perspective in terms of biomechanics. And he's like a legitimate expert. And he sees things like we'll be shit-faced at a bar. And he'll just be like, oh, look at Cole Hamels, man. His hip-to-shoulder separation is crap today. This pitch is going to be low and away. And then it is. And it's like he just sees things that other people don't see in a really interesting way. And, and I think that brings an interesting perspective. And so – we do our podcast just about baseball, like the actual sport. And I think it's really niche. It's for nerds, but like we enjoy it. And we think it's like kind of something a little different than a lot of other people do. So, I mean, I guess like, have you tried to monetize that podcast at all? What is like as a, as a content creator, what's uh, like, what's your, what's your plan in the space? Like, do you kind of just like freewheel it? I, re I really do. And here's the thing. So first off, Doug and I are way too lazy to like put out consistent content. Like he's got little kids. And so, you know, all the time he's like, bro, I can't podcast tonight. Like my, my kids like not sleeping, you know? Um, and we both have other jobs. Like I actually have zero interest. I don't consider myself a tout. I have zero interest in like being a professional tout. I have right. zero interest in like being a professional DFS player. I have a job. I have a career. Like I've been through that. Like I played poker for a living and I thought it was great, but here's the thing. At the end of the day, like being a pro DFS player, when you win, it, you'll understand this maybe when you get older, I don't know. There's no social utility in it. If I win at DFS, I'm the only one who's benefited. You know, if a doctor does his job well, somebody gets better. If a, if a teacher does their job well, somebody learns. If a customer service person does their job well, somebody has a better day. You yeah, buy we've, your we've job. Talk, we've talked about this on the podcast before, just that DFS is like the most selfish profession that exists. It really is. And it's the same with poker. And that's something that once Black Friday happened and I was forced to like go get an actual job, I think that was a really good thing for me because you're not contributing anything to the world. Then at some point, at some age, you like think that's important. And I do. I think that I think that uh, being in like the entertainment content business is a social utility just because it's so hard for people to communicate to each other right now. 
And I think that people get a lot of their comfort and their like uh, their solace in the content that they choose to consume. That's like that's like the way I view it. I, I would agree with that. And so that's the difference between being like a content creator like you're doing and uh, just grinding out, you know, DFS for a living. Yeah, altering, like like fidgeting with NBA projections for four hours. Exactly. I mean, yeah. dude, people listen to your podcast and they learn things. They listen to your podcast on their way to work and it makes their commute better. They learn things. Hopefully they, you know, win some money because of it. They become a better player. There is utility in that. For me, it's just like, I wouldn't personally want that life. I like doing it as a side project. I really enjoy it. I don't, I don't do it for notoriety. Obviously I don't do it for money. You know, I just do it because I actually enjoy it. I'd probably do it even if I made no money at it because I just like bullshitting about sports and things like that. But at the end of the day, like I don't want that to be my career and I have like zero aspirations of it being that way. I have like nothing but aspirations to do a podcast for a living. I've like recently realized I've spent my whole life training to somehow make doing a podcast my whole living. Cause like I just, I just the, my number one skill is being good at talking but I'm not particularly like, uh, I'm not like particularly charismatic on screen or anything. And I don't, I, you know, I have super long hair. I don't have any interest in ever, I don't have any interest in ever cutting it and I'm covered in tattoos. <laughs> so I'm definitely not, I'm definitely not made for TV. So you, I mean, you look, you look, I, I people can't see, you look like an eighties hairband lead singer. It's yeah. I haven't got, I haven't gotten a haircut in three years and I don't have any interest in getting one. It's amazing. I, I freaking love it. Good for you. Like I would do that if all I did was talk on the on podcast. And I should like have that. I should have started this podcast like five years ago. You really should have. You were a little behind your time, but I mean, it feels weird to like talk good things about your podcast on your podcast. But honestly, like we've it's known very, each it's other. A very for, me, it's a very meta show. It is like we've known each other for a couple years now. We've met in person. Um, Confirmed like, we, had, we had we had brunch with TJ Hernandez in San Diego. We did. We did. I've actually I actually go and see TJ every year when I'm in San Diego because he lives right near Lucha Libre near the airport. And I'll just go kick it with him and like watch watch a Sunday of games with him. And it's a really amazing experience. He's a he's a good guy, but that's an interesting thing you noted, and I and I always kick myself about this. I actually had a successful podcast feed going six years ago before anyone did podcasts. Me and Coleman Kelly, who does not exist in the fantasy space anymore. I wonder if he ever listens to these episodes, but he was my first. He was like my first uh, Nate Noling. He was like very good with numbers, very, very non-emotional when it comes to decision making. It's all about the data. And, and we were pals, but we had a podcast that I think probably had like 100, 150 ratings and reviews on iTunes like six years ago. And oh I, my and God, I, that's like 5,000 by today's rating. But I, but I dude, I, I deleted the feed. At some point, at some point I, I deleted the old website and I deleted the feed. Oh, wow. Yeah, like you're a huge you're, donkey move, man. You were, but the, the thing that you've done now is you've really created like a uh, just kind of a brand and a name for yourself before you started this. So you really had a lot of people that naturally flowed to it once you started it instead of having to start from ground zero. And I think that was probably a good thing too. Yeah. And I mean, I definitely, another, another mistake is obviously I, I saw the brilliance of the Patreon platform like a long time ago, like, and I, and I never thought about starting one myself. 
I mean, you had to get into Bitcoin, which has now like dropped to its yeah. Worst okay, levels. this is this is this is what we should talk. We should talk about crypto, and then we should go and do uh, do the uh, the Patreon part of this episode. So we we can do that, but. I mean, just just to like be clear, I'm the biggest crypto fish in the world because I basically get my crypto news from you and Nate Noling. And no, but that's that is- like, I think that's a, a good point though, because I think a lot of people who listen to this show and are like nominally interested in like Bitcoin or investing or whatever, they, they don't do things like Nate and I do them where they just go like all in and they're like interested in nothing but the, nothing but Bitcoin basically. So when Nate and I first were like, dude, bro, Bitcoin, bro, Ethereum, bro, what, like, what's going through Sammy, the old person's head at that point? I mean, so I'm like on the end of millennialship. Like I'm like right on no, the edge. You are, you are not a millennial, man. You are dude, older dude, than Google Soccer it. Dave. Google it. Google, Google when to you me, were born. To me, a millennial is if you didn't not have internet by the time you were 10, you can't be a millennial. Okay, I'm not a millennial. <laughs> I had like, a, I had a, that is that is my that is my definition because the idea of a millennial is is someone who cannot conceive of the world without being interconnected with literally everyone else on the planet. Yeah, I mean, I definitely had a pager in high school. Like that was actually a thing. So you're not a millennial, dude. That is that is zero people. Millennials not only have never owned a pager, they may not know how to operate one if it was in their hand. I, I, if you handed me a pager, I would be like, is this a toy for my dog? Like, I don't know what this is. <laughs> so I actually knew what Bitcoin was because I because had to use it. Poker. Yeah, I had to use it to deposit on a, on a certain uh, shady online poker site. And so I read up a little bit on it because they wouldn't take, obviously because of the UIEGA, they would not take like a direct credit card deposit. You had to like convert it into Bitcoin and then send them Bitcoin. And I was like, what the fuck is Bitcoin? And so I read a little bit about it and I'm like, okay, this is interesting. So my interest was peaked. And this is when Bitcoin was like, you know, 300 bucks a Bitcoin, something like that. Right. And then, and then you guys started getting really into it. You know, we just had our little text message thread and it just kept going up and up. And so really the whole reason I got into it was FOMO. I was like, look, Davis and Nate are going to be rich and I'm not going to be rich. And that just really hurts my soul. I got to get some Bitcoin. And so I did. And we rode this roller coaster together and now it seems to be kind of at the, at the bottom of a crest. And I'm really interesting. To see oh, it's, it's, there. it's not at the bottom though, man. It can go so much further down. Cause there's just like, if you remember at this point a year ago, this was the boot when everyone went home for Thanksgiving, man, <laughs> yeah. this was, this was the, this was when we were counting our money. We it were was at like, 20, it hit 20 grand and our pants were all off. It was amazing. I will like, never forget this time. I think, I think all three of us were guilty of buying more when it was above 10 K. I mean, I, I definitely, so my crypto low point was definitely buying, it was only 500 bucks worth, but I bought $500 worth of Bitcoin at 19.6. <laughs> so do you know that there's like a, a wide theory in crypto that that whole bull run was like done artificially by the people who created Tether? Yes. Yes, I do. I actually believe at this point, that's almost like an indisputable fact that that bull run was pretty artificial or like complete whale manipulation. And that's that's the thing, like for, for a fish like me, I'm not real smart about crypto markets. And so I was just riding the wave. They're they're really just like crypto markets are just like super, super irrational speculation tech markets. It's like, Oh, it's, it's the wild west. It's crazy out there. Like, 
I mean, all the, all the altcoins that are worth fuck all now, I mean, just imagine how many people have spent their life savings. And that's the crazy thing. People legit spent all their money on crypto, which obviously was a really, really bad choice. Like crypto in a lot of ways is a hedge against the current establishment. And so that, that, that doesn't mean that's like putting all your money into like a GPP and just like one tournament and going for it. And that's like a really bad strategy. You want to put little pieces of yourself in that. Yeah. I mean, like, I think, I think I would still say you should have like 1% of your, of your net worth in, in Bitcoin. That's still, it's still like advice I would give to people, even if, even if it like crashes to $500 or whatever. Oh, I'm, I'm fully on board with that. Fully on board with that because Bitcoin is really an anti-fragile thing, right? We talk about anti-fragility all the time in DFS, that we want to benefit from chaos. We want to benefit from unforeseen things happening. If our market somehow crashed, like what would that mean for Bitcoin? If the American, if the USD market crashed. Yes. I mean, it's, it's, hard, it's hard for me to say just because there's so much manipulation. Like there's so much government and central bank intervention and the value of the US dollar and of the euro that it's hard. Like it would have to go to zero. Like the, the, the world governments would have to topple. But, but like in, I, still think it, I still think in that eventuality, you want to have something. Exactly. And that's kind of how I think of it. I think of it as a hedge, an anti-fragile hedge against what if something happened to the establishment? Bitcoin is anti-establishment, Right. What if something happened to the establishment? I would want to have some fucking Bitcoin. And so I, I keep it. I'm a long-term holder in the Bitcoin I have. I'm not running out dying to buy more right now, even though, you know, maybe I should. I don't know because it's- I because- mean, this is like every every investment book or whatever. Everyone who's ever been rich will tell you the move is you just got to buy when other people are panic selling. That's just like- exactly. the like- and I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I have the balls. I mean, I've, I will, I will, I've accumulated a little bit. I, I will say though, I just like, I will never buy another altcoin ever again until, <laughs> until, the, until the next time I buy an altcoin. <laughs> but I, I mean, mean, some of these bags I have, dude, it's like, like my block, like here, let's just pull up, let's pull up block folio right now. Please. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm dying to see some like straight depression. What do, you, out of this. what do you think? What do you think Litecoin is worth as of, uh, as of right now? Just if you had to guess, uh, $36, $36. It was worth at one point. It got as high as four fifty. What do you was think? Was I right it, about that? Yeah. Right on the head. 36. Wow. I just pulled that straight out of my rectum. What do you think Ethereum is worth? Oh my God. 132. 151. But I have, it was worth I have, a grand. I have an Ethereum. I'm so I'm so tilted right now. I have. I wish I only had one. I wish I only <laughs> had one Ethereum. It's just down eighty five percent. I mean, Bitcoin. Jesus Bitcoin. Christ. Bitcoin now is officially under five k. I mean, that's the thing. You're saying people who got rich bought when everybody else was panic selling. The flip side of that is you sell when everybody is like rabid buying. I mean, there there could not have been more tangible signs that Bitcoin was at the absolute top than like it was the front page story of like The Economist and of The New Yorker and like it was just getting it was getting so much pub and people like Yeah, when you're when your dad knows about Bitcoin, all of a sudden it's like getting ubiquitous. Yeah, it was, it was definitely, and I don't know, I was such a true believer. I, I still, I don't feel bad about not selling my Bitcoin just because 
you know, at the end of the day, I want to just, I want to own Bitcoin in the eventuality that Western society fails. But yeah, all, but you all, could have sold and then bought right now for four times more Bitcoin. Like that well, was well, what I should have done was just sold all the stupid alts I had, like Stellar Lumens, buy, get, get out of here, quant stamp, see you later. Like it was, it was just dumb to not be flipping these alts. I, 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 de- I definitely had a verge phase, you know, verge, the, the, the coin that ended up becoming like the porn hub currency. Yeah. Yeah, sure. No, it was really sharp, dude. I was, I, that was, that was, that was actually probably my low point. I thought that I was a legit day trader and I had some cool inside information and I was going to get rich off fucking verge. Like, I can't believe what a fish I was. I mean, it certainly wasn't your, wasn't your proudest moment. It wasn't. It was basically the Adrian Peterson in cash version of my crypto life. That was an amazing day. The day you played <laughs> Adrian Peterson was an amazing day. I mean, this was actually only three weeks ago, so it's a little fresh. The wound is fresh. The wound, the wound is fresh. Well, I think that's a good place for us to end this uh, this little chat. This was just a ramble. This was like basically just uh, the take cast rambles. But um, I mean, people are going to enjoy it over their Thanksgiving break because there's nothing worse than when your pod feed hits zero on you know your your traveling home Friday from your Thanksgiving. And you're like, shit, I have a whole weekend left to go with no podcasts. So, so Davis, let me, let me know if people actually want this. So I think an interesting episode would be like, I've really gotten back into poker in the last six months. I put in like 320 live hours Mm -hmm. and obviously live poker is a way different beast than online poker, which, you know, I did for a couple of years for a living. It's a way different beast, but it's been a really interesting journey for me. Yeah. And I, I think live poker is something a lot of people can relate to because everyone's like stopped at a casino or like played live cards at some point. Definitely, and the game is yeah. still, this, the game is still really beatable. It's extraordinarily beatable. And so I have a lot of like experience from that. If people are into that DM Davis and we'll do an episode. And if not, you know, just tell me to fuck off. And, and no, no. Yeah. If you want to hear a poker centric episode with two dudes who just like to play car, like Sammy's good. I just like to play poker. But if you would like to hear an episode kind of about like, if you wanted to start playing or like, if you just, if you were interested in what the live scene is like right now, cause I think Sammy would, would definitely know. I might, I might go play like one, two or something. If we, if we were going to do an episode, I might go play one, two at one of the casinos around here. Oh, if you no. filmed that, I mean, people would legit buy it. Like if you did a pay-per-view Davis at the poker table, I would buy it for 20. 20- I'm just, here's the thing. I I'm really bad for that set of game because really the key when you're playing with other bad people is to just kind of play good cards and not, and like just not make egregious errors, but it's just, it's so hard for me to be sitting there and not just get it in. It's so hard. To I mean, that's it. You're playing live poker. You're seeing 30 freaking hands an hour. Oh, it's just, just, like, it just, I gotta play. It just kill me, dude. And like, if you have, and like, or the worst is like knowing you're not going to get paid off when you have like that one good hand an hour and you're like, well, I'm not getting paid off. So this is like, you just want to cry. Yeah. Yeah. Been there. Been there. So yeah, if you guys want the poker episode, let us know. Uh, I hope everyone's having an excellent Thanksgiving and uh, we're going to go record a special Patreon episode. So if you guys uh, want that, you guys know where to find it.